Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everybody, I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram and I just want to let you guys know in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera. I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. Shop Amazon for last minute gifts. Great deals for everyone on your list. 
Gifts for mom and gifts for dad Even for your sister and your brother Chad Ah shoot, we didn't realize We were supposed to get a gift for our dog walker guy We almost forgot about our dentist, Dr. Kerr We didn't expect to get a gift from her Or our cousin, I forget his name He got us something nice, better reciprocate For last minute deals on gifts for people you forgot Get past the free shipping at Amazon My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. I am so stoked to be joined by Caitlin Beatty and Roxy Stone, also known as Roxanne Stone in her professional capacity. These wonderful women co-host the Saved by the City podcast, which is put out by Religion News Service. Uh, I highly recommend that podcast. And in fact, you guys did a very tight, efficient, 20-some minute episode about the Christianity Today article uh, and I'm going to put that at the top of the show notes because I think that we'll we'll cover some of the same ground, but I would recommend people listen to that. It's fairly short. You guys get into so many good sort of juicy angles of how to think about this in a very efficient manner that has me frankly jealous. It is appropriate that my podcast, which takes place in the wooded suburbs of Seattle, is generally a luxurious 90-minute conversation, and that your <laughs> Manhattan, New York City podcast is like 30 to 45. I think mm-hmm. that's, it's sensible, right? I like that. I mm-hmm. like that context and framing. Yeah, we yeah. got to We got to get things, we got to go fast around here. We're going to compromise today at about an hour, maybe a little under, and Roxy, you, you're actually a big mucky muck about town and have to leave us halfway through I'm to sorry. be on NPR, all things considered, so we're very Woo-hoo! happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, that'll be fun too, but I'm excited to be here right now. Well, thank you, and I will attempt to believe you, but if I were you, <laughs> I would be distracted. So we are talking more about the scandals that we talked about two weeks ago. So this is Bruxy Cavey and Meeting House in Canada, the Christianity Today sexual harassment workplace, big article that dropped, and the recent Hillsong stuff. And, and since then, Brian Houston, the founder, has officially stepped down. Uh, we can also get into, I think, Carl Lentz, the, which that's about a year old story, but it's really directly connected to the Brian Houston stuff and really all everything that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Caitlin and Roxy, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I We got through our conversation last week. We did not have any women on that episode. I sort of took a patron thing we were going to do with our friend Josh and Tony and said, ah, let's move it up because of this breaking news about Christianity Today and Hillsong. And 
we didn't, yeah, didn't have any women on there. We missed a lot of angles. Many people mm. that I respect, including my wife and a number <laughs> of my closest friends said, good episode, but uh, there's there's more to discuss. And they're completely right. And I'm very, I feel honored to be able to discuss it with the two of you. So so we just need to represent like half of the human population. Exactly. So your episode. job. No, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, your mission. But not only am I excited that you are women because half people that I could theoretically interview are women, but you guys both worked at Christianity Today. So you have boots on the ground experience. Roxy, you were there for one year during the sort of two decade long-ish period that the article is talking about. Caitlin, you were there for almost a decade of that time, and Mm -hmm. you rose all the way up to managing editor before you left Christian Today, right before the Trump moment, by the way. One of my Mm -hmm. personal favorite all-time leaving evangelical institution timings is yours. (laughs) And you actually, you told that story on the Depolarize uh, interview that we did many years ago. So all that is to say, you guys have, you know, not only your own perspective as brilliant women, but personal experience in at least one of these three big Mm -hmm. scandals. So lots to talk about. I'm going to try and not go over too much of what you guys went over in your episode because it was so good and I want people to listen to that. But let's start with one of the things that you guys brought up that I think is really interesting because it's come up before on here and on Depolarize, which is the the Billy Graham, Mike Pence rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has an interesting intersection with what went on at Christianity mm-hmm. Today. What do you guys want to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I tell this story on our episode of the podcast last week, and Caitlin may have more to talk about when it comes to this, but I know for me, when I was working at Christianity Today, which was not for a long time, but it was the first time I encountered that rule. And, you know, it was with a, a coworker who I was this person's direct boss. So I had to go on like a trip with them. And that's when he brought up that, you know, he couldn't do that. Um, and this is such a good anecdote. It's <laughs> such a good it one. Is. Oh and my ended gosh. Up, I mean, ended up inviting his wife along, which is a completely normal thing to do. And spouses go on work trips all the time, but probably could mm-hmm. have happened without the pronouncements and the drama, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which as, you know, as I mentioned on our show, like kind of interjected a sexual tension into a relationship that really didn't have it up until that point and made like just a, a, a completely normal work situation into this bizarre, like walking on eggshell situation where I was like, Oh, is something, did I do something wrong? Does he think something about me? Like what, what is this, you know, and how to part of what also contributes to, I think the broader conversation here, not just like a specific scenario or instance is the ways that that the Billy Graham rule in a modern workplace uh, where women and women are working together and supervising each other and traveling together is that it creates these artificial boundaries and barriers between the two sexes in a way that uh, just hinders business and also hinders the ability for women in particular to make inroads into environments where the leadership is dominated by men. Right. Yeah, just a little bit of historical background. So this rule (laughs) came out of a meeting that 
the evangelist Billy Graham had with some of his closest male colleagues just when their crusades were really taking off in the 40s and 50s. And they made a series of agreements together to kind of maintain personal integrity. And one of them is that none of them would meet alone with women. Of course, this was a time men, when men and women weren't interacting nearly as much in the workplace. Like it was totally. easy for Billy Graham and his colleagues to make this rule because to my knowledge, there weren't actually any other, there weren't any women on their staff. Right. <laughs> but part of the question about its usefulness comes, especially in Christian organizations where most of the leadership are men to begin with. Does this become a hindrance for women to be mentored? Like it's not, it's not unreasonable to think that if a senior staff member who's a man has like a male mentor and a female mentor that are both like rising up through the ranks, but he has this personal rule that I'm only going to meet with men alone. Well, of course the female staff member is going to be left out and is going to be left behind. One of the weirdest interpretations of this rule that I heard was in a meeting with an organization that I formerly served on the board of they were trying to decide whether to keep this rule and one of the men in the meeting said well look like it's really worked for us and whenever a man and a woman are traveling like overseas because this was an international organization the man drives and they need to get someplace the man drives the car and the woman just sits in the back oh my gosh and, and like everybody and it's totally fine and like it's just what people do and I'm like that's so weird. It's hard to have physical contact from front seat to back seat, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost this like, as you said, Roxy, it interject it injects sexual tension yes. into yeah. a situation. It's almost as if to imply if we were both sitting in the front, we would be grabbing Whoa, each yeah. other. Of course. And so right. the way that we avoid this <laughs> is to have the woman sit in the back. Also, couldn't the woman drive and the man sit in the back? I mean, no. come on. Also, women can't drive, but that's uh, for another episode. It's almost like an SNL sketch. <laughs> and if they did it as a sketch, it would be, and while you're back there, make sure to be a back a backseat driver and nag the man as much as possible so that he's not sexually attracted to you. Like you could, you could lean into the gender stereotypes and make oh, a pretty good sure. bit out of it. Sure. That is so silly, but, but Roxy, you, very were, silly. you were is. talking about sort of access to networks and places. And in the Christianity Today article, they mentioned golfing <laughs> and that these, these, these men at the top of the organization who are responsible you know, for both the harassment behavior, but also people like Richard Shields, the head of HR, directly responsible for this decades long, basically like, we're just not going to document any of this old boys club sort of, we'll deal with this internally, air quotes kind of mm -hmm. a thing. They all went golfing together and women mm -hmm. weren't mm -hmm. on those golf trips, which means women aren't in the geographical space, having the conversations with the people who run the organization. It's interesting because anytime I've talked about the Billy Graham rule in the past, like I've done a few different conferences and speaking on it, I always bring up golf as one of the, these sort of the quintessential space that men like form mm -hmm. bonds and often network outside of the workplace and right. it's not 
just the golf, you know, it's just the, it's just, it, it was a very eye roll moment for me in the article. Cause I was like, yep, there it is. <laughs> like, of course, of course um, it's golf. Yeah. Like if it were square dancing, <laughs> we'd be like, okay, d- un- unusual hobby, but like, yeah. yeah, not traditionally a place where like men exclusively gather to do business deals and drink martinis. Not that right. these guys were drinking martinis to my knowledge, but like, yeah. it, it just, it symbolizes something that yeah. is annoying and it's not just work that happens there it's this it's an informal friendship that is kind of intangible but it ends up you know it ends up being part of the workplace and it ends up you know being reasons why one person might be believed over another because you know this guy Mm -hmm. and he's a good guy and he didn't mean anything by it he's just awkward Mm -hmm. sometimes you know and that's it sort of creates those bonds that then exclude women not only from the workplace but also from just a sense of familiarity of being like a real person with real feelings and that can be really dangerous particularly when you Mm -hmm. end up with instances like this Yeah. And part of the point that you're making, Roxy, is that like what happens on the golf course doesn't stay on the golf course. Right. There you go. Like on the HR point, my understanding is that Richard Shields did he was he did take notes, but the notes were never they never resulted in formal disciplinary action. So I would actually love to see a follow up report from CT on like the relationship between HR and executive leadership and why there wasn't any formal disciplinary action. But I have to think that some of it was a kind of familiarity that, okay, I heard this rumor about this guy, or I saw something a little bit weird, but like, I know him, he's a good guy, he means well, yeah, he's a little bumbling, but like, at the end of the day, that person gets the benefit of the doubt and the person coming forward to HR, you know, they're made to feel like they're oversensitive or just misinterpreted something or imagined something that wasn't there. You know, that's a good transition to my second question about CT specifically. And this is something that you guys didn't talk about at all in in your episode. So there's Mark Galley, who's sort of I don't know, maybe 60-70% of the articles about him. He was there longer. He was the editor-in-chief, uh, mm-hmm. at least towards the end. He was your boss, right, Caitlin? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other guy, Talks. I, I will butcher Tokes. his Tokes. Tokes. Okay. Uh, okay, so I would butcher. I tried pronouncing it two weeks ago, and it didn't go very well. Um, this guy actually ended up being convicted of a sex crime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, uh, you know, court. And mm-hmm. so, you know, with, with Mark Galley, there are consequences of course to like, maybe some notes were taken, but there's nothing like official in his record. There's no disciplinary action and okay. What did we miss? Someone could look at that and it could seem plausible to them to think of it like, well, okay, this guy might just be this kind of awkward boomer or whatever. And so missing it. Okay. Not ideal. Okay. Mm-hmm. With Tokes. No, 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 no. It was missed. And like, there was a there, there to the extent mm-hmm. that he was convicted or he pled guilty to soliciting mm-hmm. sex from a minor. Mm-hmm. So that's just in my mind, like the connection between what mm-hmm. are these mechanisms we have or that we are or aren't using and what they might tell us about the character of people in an organization. Mm-hmm. And then what the consequence, like how much more enabled did he feel 
to pursue sex with a minor. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't say, I, I, you know, you can't know for sure, but like, mm-hmm. that's fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't blame CT's policies. Uh, of course not. For Tokes seeking to have sex with a minor. I will say that I didn't work directly with Tokes, but I definitely knew who he was and would see him kind of ambling around the hallways seeking to he he was known by the young women who worked at CT as someone that you kind of wanted to avoid being alone with. Yeah. And so at the very least, what ended up happening, a lot of women who worked at CT knew that HR or other leaders probably weren't going to do anything about Toke's behavior. So they formed this like informal, like whisper network, like, Hey, right. It got to the point where women would come into each other's offices if they saw Tokes going into her office because they were trying to protect each other. And on one hand, that's great that women had each other's backs. And it also just speaks to a completely inept, formal response to behavior that was certainly boundary crossing, inappropriate, and definitely connected to other things going on with this person, right? I think what is alarming about that too that was hinted at in the article is like some of those women that were forming this whisper network like they were supervisors they were in positions of authority and they had been victimized in this way too and also did not feel like they had any power to intervene or to go to HR or to that their words even as supervisors as authority figures would make any difference Mm mm-hmm yeah, one of the women went to her female one of the women interviewed for CT's article talks about going to her female supervisor and saying, you know, Tokes stares at my boobs in meetings, like what should I do about this or can, can something be done? And her supervisor said something like you could wear a scarf. And <laughs> and the Jeez. person who in later reflecting on this story on Twitter, which is a very important form of reflective discourse these days, <laughs> this woman said, I actually don't blame my boss. Like hmm. her response just indicated the level at which so many women, including women who theoretically could have had power to stop it, were disempowered yeah. because there was there were these broader cultural norms that lent too much grace to men yeah yeah caitlin you mentioned you know of course we rightly we can't blame ct's hr policies for toke's solicitation of sex from a minor right like that that's not a good way to think about responsibility but a different way of thinking of it is like if your organization happens to hire the kind of person who will eventually be convicted for soliciting Mm -hmm. sex from a minor Mm -hmm. what kind like how would you want an organization to be able to deal with that person. Like that's Mm. more how I'm thinking of it is like, Mm -hmm. it's more, it's not about that. It necessarily contributed to his actions, but he was always the kind of guy who was going to do something like that. Of course he Mm -hmm. has agency, but people didn't know that they obviously didn't hire him knowing that, but there were patterns and there were signs for sure. And even, so there's, pattern recognition and sign recognition and having policies Mm -hmm. for that. And then there's just, even if you're totally unaware of it, but like it's going to manifest itself in some behaviors, like how robust do you want your systems to be 
to be mm-hmm. able to catalog that, deal with it, fire that person if you need to, especially mm-hmm. at an organization that wants to be above reproach, air quotes, in any meaningful sense. This is something that Roxy touched on in our own Say by the City episode. I think this is where you get into different attitudes about Christian organizations and how Christian organizations should conduct themselves and notions of forgiveness or reconciliation or giving each other grace. Yeah. Obviously very core Christian concepts. And yet you can so easily see how they can be applied in situations that actually require justice for people who are marginalized, which the Bible also has a lot to say about the Bible also has a lot to say about People who are warned about bad behavior and they keep persisting in the bad behavior and then they reap the consequences. I'm pretty sure that's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. Mm -hmm. So like if we're going to try to be a biblically informed Christian organization, let's make sure that we're reading the whole Bible. I I feel fire coming off. (laughs) She's going. She's at it. We We can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. If you could add some kind of effect that really captures that, that would be good. Josh, please throw. Yeah, please uh, add in a sound effect that shows just how on fire. Maybe the NBA jam. She's on fire. Although I don't know. That might only be a there's only male NBA players. We're not going to get man. We're coming up against another hard limit here. The NBA jam sound effects. Can't even even, be even sound effects are gendered. That's <laughs> OK. Roxy, what were you going to say? I don't remember, but I do have, I do have to go soon and I would, and I am about to pivot to talking in another interview about Hillsong. So I mean, we should just talk about that for a few minutes, which I I mean, I cannot imagine two more polar opposite aesthetic cultures than (laughs) Hillsong and Christianity today, at least on the surface, which I think is, is just there's probably a whole lot that can be said about how like this old boys club is not, is not always old. Like it's even yeah. existing in these new spaces and, yeah. and, and probably in some ways because like they're just like, there's, there's core issues that go well beyond like the, the sort of surface aspects of a culture that you've set up. And so I think when we look at Hillsong and some of what, has been reported on Hillsong, you see some very similar patterns that, you know, that were present in, in the CT situation, as well as like so many of the other Me Too situations that have been brought to the surface, which is like a complete lack of accountability, a lot Mm. of informality around Mm. reporting structures, um, as well as around employee relationships, which often happens in Christian organizations and churches because there's this sense that like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all Mm -hmm. in this mission together. There's a bigger purpose than both of us. And so there ends up being like we're family, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there ends up being Mm -hmm. that environment, which I think creates all kinds of dangerous opportunities for predatory Mm -hmm. behavior well it basically excuses the lack of boundaries do you think there's i think that there's some self-selection stuff going on like maybe not at the sort of brian houston executive level of hillsong or mars hill or something like that but most everyone else has like not gone into corporate america right they Mm. have 
they res- they have pursued a career path that is more informal, that is more local, that in their mind is like a calling from God to some to some degree. And mm-hmm. that I wonder if people, I wonder if there is something that is maybe a little less pernicious, that's more of a personality thing that is playing into this of like, we don't need the kind of structures they have at IBM. You know, like we didn't take that <laughs> route, which mm. doesn't, doesn't mean that that's correct, right? But I wonder if some of it comes from that. And there's definitely a boomer type of that that I'm so familiar with. I'm sure you guys are familiar with too, that kind of casualness, that informality um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Mm, we're not going to be like the uptight madman generation. We can all just be friends and colleagues. And yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I do think there is some self-selection in that, but I also, whether it's self-selection or whether it's just earnestly believing the cause and the mission, and then you mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. this larger than life figure who oftentimes you like walk into it into the situation already loving and believing this person Mm -hmm. idolizing this person even you know and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking especially in the sense of like Carl Lentz or Brian Houston but even you know even on a lesser level someone like Mark Galley or just or or even Mark Galley as representation of Christianity today Mm -hmm. which I know when I first walked in I was like stars in my eyes I'm working at the flagship evangelical magazine you know Mm -hmm. so any man that was representing that I like immediately respected, you know, Mm. there's also, of course, the danger of perceiving that someone is uniquely or directly called by God to lead in a specific position and that person believing it as well about themselves (laughs) and that then then serving to justify or excuse all sorts of inappropriate or predatory behavior because uh, you believe that someone isn't just gifted, but like put there for a big kingdom purpose that you're willing to kind of look the other way when they slip up or, or extend them too much grace because what would we do without this person being at the helm? Like, is our church going to survive without Carl Lentz and his deeply V-necked shirts? Right. You know, gesticulating on stage every week. <laughs> TBD, whether they will survive. Yeah, TBD. <laughs> well, yeah, and then there's there's obviously, I mean, if you, Mars Hill, Hillsong, Willow Creek, all of these huge churches are now struggling in a big way. Well, Mars Hill doesn't even exist. Hillsong and Willow Creek are seriously struggling after the fall of their most famous leader. Mm-hmm. So there's something about the way these church cultures are built up around a charismatic figure that they like don't know how to go on even after that person has obviously like failed at a basic pastoral level. Roxy, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for joining us for the time yeah. you could go kick ass on NPR. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Sounds good. I think it would probably just be like a 15 minute interview. So if you guys are still on, I can always jump back on. You're welcome but... to join back in. We got another half hour or so right. here. So All yeah, right. please right. feel free Have to join fun. us. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. If you'd like to support this show financially, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Dan Patrons get access to the Facebook group, which is patron only. 
as well as at least two exclusive episodes per month. Right now, we are in the middle of a couple kind of ongoing series, uh, gospel episodes with uh, Ariel from Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible, former guest on this show. She and I are going through one gospel at a time, and we just put out our episode about the gospel of Mark, and we had Ash Nerve, co-host of the Boys Bible Study podcast, uh, and also Ariel's editor, join us for the book of Mark. And we still have uh, Luke and John to come. And also, Tony Jones and I have been doing these Generation Gap Culture Hour kind of variety episodes, responding to more current events and current topics. Uh, those have been really fun to make. So if you want to hear any of those, including any past episode from the Patreon feed, which includes all of our response episodes to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, you can become a patron and listen to any of those. Uh, Patreon.com slash Dan Coke, five bucks a month. All right, back to my conversation with Caitlin. Okay, so Caitlin, I want to, I have a kind of a big question that I don't know how to answer. and I just want your take on it. So, you know, I've been researching spiritual abuse, which is mm -hmm. not the same thing as these scandals. I would say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all three scandals have resulted in spiritual abuse of many mm. forms for many individuals, but it's not like, it's not like, oh, how would we understand how these organizations fail? The best lens is spiritual abuse. Like that doesn't seem right, but mm. there's so much overlap that I'm kind of mm. wondering what that relationship might be. Like for instance, two of the main subscales of my spiritual abuse scale are maintaining the system. And mm. that can be from both leadership and parishioners, employees, right? The the woman's supervisor maintaining mm -hmm. the system by recommending a scarf. Mm -hmm. And then the other big one is controlling leadership. Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, this person, a direct line to God. So literally one of the items is my pastor or church or group leader explicitly claiming to speak on God's behalf. Mm -hmm. And and Mark Driscoll always talking about God said it to me clear as day, plant mm -hmm. churches, teach the mm -hmm. Bible, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. that's that part. God told me clear as day, that explicit link. So there's some link between mm -hmm. unhealthy organizations and then, of course, spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And there's some way that they can inform each other. But it's really just kind of an open prompt in my mind that's coming up as we talk and I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, reflecting on my experience at Christianity today, I don't think I would categorize anything I witnessed or experienced as spiritual abuse. I would say perhaps one link is a misuse of power by individuals and you don't have individuals misusing their power without a broader cultural context that enables and allows them to do that. So we have to understand all forms of abuse, whether, you know, sexual, financial, psychological, emotional, or spiritual, and oftentimes it's more than one, as not just about what happens between two individuals, but about a larger cultural context that allows abuse to flourish. And from what I experienced at CT... I do think that there's something in a lot of Christian organizations and churches that wants to not make waves, 
which is kind of maintaining the system. Someone going to HR is perceived as punitive or complaining or making too big of a deal out of something that's minor. Can't you, can't you forgive and move on? So you can see ways in which spiritual frameworks can go toward maintaining a system. I just remember a a mentor in college telling me we should always assume the best about people and their motives. And even at the time I was like, why? Yeah. (laughs) Are you going to get rid of the wise as serpents part and just keep innocent as doves? You know, I, I, at the time I was like, I couldn't figure out even from a Christian perspective, like, wait, why do, why do we do that? Because we also believe that people are capable of really terrible things. And so it seems like we need wisdom and discernment in interacting with other people, especially people in positions of power. But I think at CT, the benefit of the doubt, like assuming the best about someone's motives was applied even in situations where it was clear as day that the person was overstepping boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, I I love your you saying that like you don't you don't get this kind of misuse of power, especially in an organizational setting, without an organizational culture and and possibly a broader sort of national culture or subculture like an evangelical subculture. You mm-hmm. don't get the mus- misuse without at least you don't get it lasting long enough unless there mm-hmm. is a culture that allows it. Mm-hmm. Right? You you mm-hmm. uh, in a healthier culture, someone will misuse power and there will be consequences immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's what mm-hmm. that's how you stop it. And if it's not been stopped for decades, years, whatever, then there is some culture that's allowing it. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that might be the center of the Venn diagram between like what the spiritual abuse research is revealing and other domains of study. Right. Like, mm-hmm. as you're saying, like, like, for instance, the, the Christianity Today one is probably the one where there are the least instances of what I would consider spiritual abuse, someone's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. capacity for their faith truly being harmed through some sort of coercion and control. I'm sure there are right. individuals, right. but Hillsong and Bruxy, it's like when these pastors mm-hmm. fall, that ends up harming the faith capacity of, of most people in those churches or, you know, many, many, many people. And then all mm-hmm. the people, all the staffers that worked under them and all this stuff. So maybe that's the overlap is like, it's a, it's a helpful lens for looking at these cultures, these mm-hmm. specific organizational, denominational, mm-hmm. subcultures, whatever. And I think it's worth noting that, to my understanding, the first instance of formal discipline against the former editor-in-chief took place because of a new president coming in from outside right. and him just having a what I perceive to be like a no-tolerance policy. Like, yep. This is formalized. This is serious. This is not allowed. Like that was definitely tied to this editor's early retirement. And I wonder if sometimes it just takes someone coming from outside the system to see Mm -hmm. something clearly, because even while I knew this report was coming, I was the recipient of unwanted touch. I knew from several women at CT that they had experienced this too. And I definitely put that in the category of victimization. I also felt a measure of, I felt distantly implicated because I had been at CT for so long. Like I had Mm. been there in a position, I've been there for almost 10 years. And a lot of that time was in a position of leadership where the things that I did 
or not do or said or not say that signaled to other people this was okay. And that's why I think these instances of harassment or abuse, they just color your whole experience of an organization. You know, it, it colors now how I think about my time at CT in a really painful way, you know? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you being so forthright about that. Yeah, like, like to what extent did you recommend the scarf you know, or what are some version <laughs> yes. of that, right? Yes. Uh, having yes. more power than some more junior staffers. Right. And, you know, like I'm not implicating you and I don't I don't want you to feel guilt about that. It's but mm-hmm. it is your point is really good. I mean, literally, you are helping me with my spiritual abuse research live on the air. So thank you. <laughs> I am taking notes that will make it into other stuff of mine. I'll try and I'll try and quote you. But it, that idea that it does take, it might, it often takes someone coming in who doesn't have the mm-hmm. same cultural goggles on yes. and they can go, well, what the hell is going on here? This yes. is not going to continue. And whereas you're in the, wa- you are the young frog. And wh- how old were you when you started at CT? <laughs> you must've been in your twenties. I was a 23 year old frog. 23. In. So you, you drop in there at 23 and mm-hmm. you're there for nine and a half years as the and you're you know if you were my client for instance I would not blame you at 23 for not sure, being able sure. to figure that out uh, yeah I Lord do. knows what I was doing at 23 <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't need to share that um, yeah no I I you know even though I'm saying yes there's a there's a measure in which I want to interrogate my own complicity yeah. I also look back on my younger self and realize. How could I have known any better? Because I literally had no other workplace experience right. to inform what was normal or not normal. I came in and it's a Christian organization and everybody's like spiritual and upstanding. And so, of course, over time, I'm going to assume the way thing, the way that things are done here are the way things ought to be done or just the way things are in the world. You know, it's not until getting out of a system that you look back and, and can realize actually some of the things that we did, some of our practices and norms were really weird and unhealthy and need to be changed, you know? You know, it kind of reminds me of Hillsong because they have their own like leadership school and Bible Mm. college. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that organizations that do have toxic cultures Mm -hmm. are really incentivized to Mm -hmm. hire from a young talent pool that mm. is already invested in the mission of their organization. Mm-hmm. That like it would have been, it would be disincentivizing, for instance, for Hillsong mm-hmm. as they're growing in the mid 2000s to be like, let's get this VP from eBay to come in and like, <laughs> because the VP from right. eBay would know what normal corporate culture was like. Right. And, and right. would probably not be into the Brian Houston show, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever was going on at the time mm-hmm. that was, you know, serving his purposes. That's really interesting. I've never thought about like these insular toxic cultures and they can happen outside the of Christian course. world as well. Yeah, yeah. But something that's very like you're in or you're out, it's black and white. We do things a really specific way here. And the people who are on board need to do the things the way that we say they should. They are incentivized to hire people on where they can have like a strong power differential, you know, and young people whose 
passion and sincerity are almost being capitalized on. And I know that's a very cynical way to read it, but I don't think it's coincidental that a lot of these churches and Christian organizations that we're talking about, there's, there's like the people at the top and then all the people at the bottom who are coming in and not a lot of people in the middle to kind of hold the top accountable and then also empower the new people, you know? Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey and I have been watching The Dropout on Hulu, which is the Theranos yes. um, Elizabeth Samesies. Holmes story. Samesies. Yeah. And like what they did, and that's a, a very well reported, you know, they're, mm-hmm. I know that the show is probably taking a handful of little dramatic, you know, they got to make good television, but it's, but it's been a very extensively reported case. Right. And they, they do, they hire, they position Elizabeth as this mm-hmm. like female CEO world saver entrepreneur mm-hmm. so they mm-hmm. get all these people who look up to her so they mm-hmm. buy into the mission they get them to sign more ndas more often than other people because well we're we do it this way and we have this secrecy and we have mm-hmm. you know it's all part of the mission and they yeah. basically you know they're bad she and her you know uh partner are bad actors and they are able to use those mechanisms to hide their activity for mm-hmm. a stunning amount of time mm-hmm. uh, and waste a stunning amount of money uh, mm-hmm. of otherwise quite capable venture capitalists. You know, so that those kinds of cultural mm-hmm. dynamics, they fucking work mm-hmm. in a church or not in a church. Mm-hmm. They are effective. Mm-hmm. Eventually it catches mm-hmm. up to you, but mm-hmm. you can get a lot of damage done in the meanwhile. Mm-hmm. Plus her deep voice. I mean, who could resist that? <laughs> who could resist it? They do a really good job of treating that in the show. Um, I want to <laughs> ask you, I want to just pivot to, again, I know, funny joke about um, speaking for half of humanity, and you don't have to. But <laughs> what what might I be missing as a man as mm. I think about these, these multiple scandals, Bruxy, Hillsong, mm. CT, what do you think jumps out to you as a woman that would not maybe jump out to me in terms of what they share in common or anything like that? So a couple things, because women are sexualized in mainstream culture, I think men have to understand. And I, of course I'm thinking specifically about the story at CT and instances of unwanted touch. And perhaps the touch was intended to be, encouraging or familial or then again you don't touch people on the butt in your family yeah or you you should not be (laughs) yeah that that excuse only covers some of the incidents and not all of them so that makes it kind of a suspect exactly exactly so when when my former boss at ct passed by me in the hallway and it was just the two of us in the hallway and he passed behind me and touched my lower back I I struggled to know how to interpret it, but of course I had to wonder, is he suggesting something sexual? And so just examining the difference between intent and impact and understanding that because a lot of women have been sexualized and demeaned and the recipients of very overt harassment, that that has to, that should lead men whether in positions of power or not, to reflect on the impact of their intentions and to get over their own, to examine the impact of their actions and to get over their own, yeah, but I didn't mean anything by it. You know, I think in the case of CT, 
I'm just kind of dumbfounded that so much of the defense has been, I didn't mean for it to be sexual. So therefore it's, so therefore it was okay. It's like, can you really not get out of your own experience and take others' experiences as seriously as your own? Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, just examining intent versus impact. I think if you are a person of integrity, you're a man in some position of power leadership in an organization or church, you want to treat women you work with with dignity and respect. You don't want to be like these, you don't want to be part of the old boys network. It's probably going to require some discomfort for you. Like when you get invited to the golf course (laughs) or when you're in the room with just other men and you're talking or you're joking or you're at happy hour or whatever, you may actually have to go against the grain of conversation. You may have to call somebody out. You may have to appear oversensitive, quote unquote, or like, you can't take a joke, man. Like, I really think that in a male dominant organization, more responsibility falls to men who want to do the right thing to speak up and to kind of risk losing a segment of power if it means empowering other people who Mm -hmm. you work with. And that's uncomfortable, you know? And you get why you get why a lot of men don't do it, right? Right, Dan? Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always do it. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I do. And you know, the I really like the impact versus intent uh, distinction. And you know, it made me think about systemic racism. And I, I wonder mm-hmm. if there is I wonder if there's something particularly applicable about the intent impact differential. Mm. In, in power differential situations, if maybe mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a common mm. thread, like mm-hmm. what I was thinking about was like just the, uh, you know, just the suburban family doing extra booster events for their own kids, elementary school and, you know, none for the poorer elementary school on the other side of the city. No intent there to keep the black kids poor. Mm-hmm. But the impact of that mm-hmm. is differential test scores, differential, you know, uh, chances at, at mm-hmm. a good life. Mm-hmm. And there's also a power differential there between those two neighborhoods and right. the amount of uh, social and economic capital that those families have. And so I'm wondering, yeah, that, that's just something that came up for me is like, oh, that might be kind of a relationship. And then men, of, men, of course, have more power in more situations than women do. So that would be connecting it to that discomfort then. So I should expect to be more. I should expect to have discomfort more often if mm-hmm. I have more power. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So like my boss, when he eventually, whether he just connected the dots or the HR director told him directly that I had gone to HR after he touched me on my lower back, he came to me directly and said, if this happens again, just come talk to me directly. And you're rolling your eyes, and I, I wish that you're. I hate that. I hate that story. Why? Why? I hate that he. I hate that he did that. It's such bullshit. It's it's fucking mafia dawn behavior. <laughs> it's is it, it is or is it's it, like someone you, who's like, don't tell my parole officer. It's that kind of behavior, right? Do, does it feel like such an obvious evasion of accountability? Like, yes. and threatening me in kind of a nice but clear way. It's, don't go to HR again. It's to be honest, it's very hard. I think it's hard to put myself 
entirely in his shoes, just because I can't imagine all the things that appear to be true about him being true about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have a history of touching women that I work with. And I, mm-hmm. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I know what it's like to be a male and to, I know what it's like to live in a society where women are sexualized and mm-hmm. to think about women in a sexualized way. And mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how much of that is my culture and how much of it is just biology or put it on a, you know, a, a bell curve wherever I happen to fall on that bell curve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what that part is like. I do know mm. what it's like to have offended a lot of people in my life, but not <laughs> around sexuality, more uh-huh. around being a big personality, egocentric, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. being impatient with topics I don't like. That's why I started a podcast where I get to choose who I talk to about what. <laughs> I'm more comfortable than having to talk about what other people talk about. So that part's hard. But mm-hmm. if I were, I I hope and I think That if I were in a situation where there was an understood, established way to deal with things like an HR department, Mm -hmm. that to then go, let me see if I can just sort of hop around that Mm. and use my authority to Mm -hmm. sort of nip that in the bud. Mm -hmm. That part, that part of the story is what sets me off and gets me rolling my eyes and then speaking with quite a bit of anger. That's the part that I hate about it. Yeah, I definitely think that that comment was worse than the actual touch. Interesting. I, yeah. Because I can, even to this day, the touch made me uncomfortable, but I can imagine a world in which it was meant to be encouraging. Exactly. What I, but I cannot imagine a world in which, you know, my boss says the next time this happens or if this happens again, just come to me directly, meaning don't go to HR. How am I to read that except you are trying to step around accountability and my ability to speak up about my own experience? We can't just handle this like brother to brother because like you're my boss and you're 30 years older than me and you are in a position of leadership and I've been here for two years. And if you are that unaware of your own power, that is negligence to a sinful degree. 100%. These type of stories are when I am most convinced by the line of reasoning that is, you know, sort of the the sort of privilege focused line of reasoning, right? The the argument that what is really going on at core for mm. a lot of these people in power who are often white men, but not always, is that their privilege blinds them to the mm. fact that they have to play by the same rules as everyone else. Because that's yes. another way of phrasing this is that he mm-hmm. came to try and make sure he doesn't have to play by those rules. Yes. But he knows, but he is the editor of a big organization. He's, you know, not the president, but he's number two, number three, whatever, at a big organization. Mm-hmm. With like a hundred or whatever employees, and mm-hmm. they he I doubt he thinks that the HR department should be abolished. It's not that no one oh. else should have to well, maybe he does. <laughs> but but he wouldn't object he wouldn't go to everyone's office and tell them all to come to each of mm-hmm. them, you know, you know what I mean? Like so, he wouldn't apply his own yes. rule in this situation to everybody in every instance where right. we might reasonably say HR should be involved. It just he understands his own he wants to get he wants to evade the accountability that everybody else does and he knows that he can because he's been allowed to you know 
And yep. like I said, that comment was actually worse than the touch. Yeah, I I can see that. I have one more question for you to because we have to be done here in five minutes as we compromise between our New York City and <laughs> wooded Seattle suburb styles. How might these organizations be different if there were women either mm-hmm. at the very top or at least many mm-hmm. more women at multiple levels of authority in these mm-hmm. organizations? What do you think? Mm-hmm. So I'm not of the mind that just having more women in leadership in and of itself is going to solve these problems. Okay. Because, I mean, I think it is worth having regardless. Like, I think it, I think it is worth having more women in positions of leadership because women are full image bearers who have half of the world's talents and gifts and perspectives to share and yeah. lead organizations that where everybody flourishes. But I have also seen the ways in which women can be conscripted into patriarchal, male-centric organizations and can actually be almost like tokenized. Like, mm-hmm. well, look, we're we're kind of egalitarian because we have a couple women on our board or we just hired a first our first ever female managing editor. So we've taken care of the gender problem. You know, I think it actually needs to come down more to or I should say in addition to having more women in leadership very proactive policies around sexual harassment, the difference between intent and impact, real effects and costs for people who go outside the lines. I think it's so much about holding people in positions of power and account it to account as much as it is about having more women in the room. I think that's a, a great answer. I feel like I, I have time for one more question, and this one came from... <laughs> Uh, one of the listeners. So I want to see, I think you might have some thoughts. Is there a lack of sort of good theological and practical work uh, mm. around sexuality that has tri- that has not trickled down into mm. these spaces? Would more robust theological, ethical, you know, whatever, you know, organizational mm-hmm. work around human sexuality Make a difference if that could get into these work environments or or do you think that primarily what we're dealing with is sort of top down type of control where those people aren't it doesn't they're not going to read that stuff. It's not going to make a Mm -hmm. difference. You know, Mm -hmm. what do you think about that sort of dynamic? Mm. Do we need a better or more robust theology of sexuality? Yeah. I mean, especially for Christian organizations. Right. Uh, Because obviously the theology is not going to affect the eBay corporate structure, but it might affect mm-hmm, the Christianity mm-hmm. Day corporate structure, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to talk about sex with my boss. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> but, point. <laughs> but but I, I certainly think that, you know, theological reflections on gender play a role in all of this. You know, like, again, my, my former boss has very specific essentialist ideas about men and women. Yeah. By the way, he, before my time, but I have since learned that there was a time when he was against flexible workplace policies for women who had just had babies because women shouldn't be working full time if they have children. Like they should just exit the workforce because all women are nurturing and kind of designed to be at home with children. And 
you just so easily see how that attitude from someone at the top yeah. then creates a culture where women feel like, I guess I'm not finding support here to keep working because the editor in chief doesn't think that women should be working after they have children. Yeah. Like no. Su- yeah. Big surprise that you. Yeah. And you didn't know that, of course, before you started. But it's, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, just his attitudes about men's sexual drives as being like God given or designed and men are like this women are like this and as long as we all kind of can get behind that and stop buying into pc narratives about men and women like we'll all be better off and (laughs) i'm so i'm so sick of culture culture war uh Mm. crap but yes, yeah. sorry. I it's hard. You're laughing at my facial expressions. I feel like I have to explain it in audio form to the listeners. Yes. Oh, it's not. I mean, it it is funny, and then it's not. It's really not funny. No, but like, I know. Yeah. So absolutely, I, you know, I don't know if that needs to be brought out in a formal way in organizations, but yeah. certainly I do want to affirm that theology around sex and gender informs how people act in these situations Mm -hmm. because of what they believe about men and women. And then I think unfortunately can lead bad actors to excuse or justify their behavior by pointing to this notion that like God designed me this way or God designed men this way. Yes. Uh, Future episode listeners to come about a concept called theologized trauma, which is basically about that, that certain theologies don't necessarily cause trauma, but they can provide scaffolding and cover mm. for mm-hmm. for potential trauma. Mm-hmm. Really cool idea. Sam Young's my future guest. We're going to talk about that. So, but for now, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming. Uh, tell Roxy, thank you as well. <laughs> she must be having a very good interview. It must have NPR. gone very it, it well. It must be with going NPR. very well. Yes. Uh, so we should be happy for her. And uh, again, we we actually didn't cover all that much that you guys covered. So I would really recommend people if they haven't yet, they listen to another 20, 25 minutes or whatever of you guys talking about this case on your own show. Link is in the show notes. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thanks, Dan. It was fun.